this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. There are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time. Rules. No rules. Rule number one. Keep your friends close, but your enemies close. Rule number two. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. This week on Double Dragon, Steve and I cover the seventh episode of season one, Driftmark. This one is my favorite so far. Uh, just amazing dialogue. Love the dragons. Then medievalist Ian McInnes visits us to answer a few questions. I also mentioned that my friend Patrick Moran has a few new pieces up on his website. That's Patrick Moran Art and Design. Search for his House of the Dragon pull-down menu. I think my favorite so far is Alicent. Really interesting stuff. All right. Without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne. Steve, I don't think I've ever swung so greatly in my appreciation for an episode between my first and second watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think first time, and I was a bit a bit distracted first time around. Um, what were you doing? I was in the ER. It was, it was not, it was, it you, was stupid. It was stupid. You, were you in the ER for yourself? <laughs> for my son, for my 15-year-old oh. son. Anyway, that's not important. Well, I feel like it might be a little important. All right, I'll get back to him in a minute. I will maybe not to our listeners, but I was a bit distracted, sort of like waiting there. You play a waiting game at the ER, and I, Mm -hmm. I was just sort of waiting there. Nothing's happening, so I put the thing on the phone and plug in the AirPods or whatever and watch the show. Because I know I'm going to rewatch it. I'm, maybe I'm distracted, but I was just really disappointed. And then I rewatched it this morning. And I think this was maybe my favorite episode this season. Wow. Yeah. Um, I like how in no part of this retelling were you distracted because you were worried about your son. Okay. Uh, you, all right. So, so, yeah, that either reveals me as sort of... I'm sort of Corliss Valerian level father. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, this kid's not going to be king. I think I'm done investing in his emotional right. development. <laughs> can we skip? Can we skip a generation? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me tell you the story. It's really quick. My son was um, hitting the gritty. <laughs> Do you know what this is? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So he's doing a little dance. I remember where this is going already, and now I understand why you didn't care. (laughs) And he slips, and he falls on his knee. (laughs) (laughs) And we take him in. He's, like, screaming bloody murder. He's, like, in the most pain he's ever been. And then immediately at the ER, he, like, snaps out of it. I think his kneecap actually slid back into place. Oh. 
And so as soon as he's at the ER, and I mean as soon as they put him in the bed. So the bill has already been issued. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no turning back at this point. As soon as they put him in the bed, like I think his kneecap like popped into place or whatever, and he's like, oh, I'm fine, <laughs> but this is hilarious because, oh my gosh, I hit the gritty so hard, and I actually went to the ER because I hit the gritty so hard. And he just says hit the gritty like 10 more times, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is what pa- being a parent is like, and you'll never be able to explain the feeling you're having at this moment. Right, That that um, that sort of... Uh, it's that relief mixed with just pure unadulterated hatred. <laughs> I, th- I think that sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife's there with me and she's like just burying her face in her hand and, you know, just trying, trying to tolerate this human being that's like laughing really loud and saying how great it is to be in the ER. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? You've got an episode here where like you talk about how times have changed, right? Where you have... Corliss, who's just who's beside himself because his son dared to mourn the loss of his sister. Yeah, yeah. And then you're over here like, hmm, well, this is an unfortunate situation. My son danced himself into the ER. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You anyway. You gritty so hard that... <laughs> <laughs> you need mm-hmm. a you need a hospital stay. It's like it was a little bit like Icarus. I mean, it was sort of like there are limits. I didn't know. I don't know if people know this, but there are limits to how hard one can hit the gritty. <laughs> he flew so high, it was like those yeah. wax wings just melted, right. and the gods struck him down. He's like, no, 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 no. We we don't need any more gritty from you, sir. No, and that's the thing is you think that there's like there's there's an infinite gritty to achieve. Uh, no, and I and I would have been like, well, you know, we're already paying for the hospital stay. Um, why don't you give him a vasectomy while he's down there? I, one, I mean, look, we're here. I'm already paying. I'm not, you know. And secondly, I, I think it, I think the line can end here. I think I've realized who I am, and I think I've just realized who he is. This needs to end right now. Like if, if my genes either, you know, they helped contribute to this or they will somehow meld with this later. Maybe we're good. Maybe we just. Whether it's nature the, or nurture, it's clear that I failed. So. Yeah, the LaDon experiment was it was it was a good ride. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, I love this episode on on my second watch. Yeah, I'm just I'm just super nervous the next time I do the gritty now that I know that there is a limit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think it's cool for him that he did the gritty so hard that he uh, that, that he ended up injuring himself? Or do you think that's one of those things where like, dude, you can't even gritty without going to the hospital, bro. <laughs> there, there is there is a level of this that I, I kind of admire. It's sort of like if it wasn't it, let's just, let's just say it was your son and not my son, mm. I'd be like, oh hell yeah, you hit that gritty. You, you find <laughs> the you find the limits of that gritty. I want to know where that line is. As a man who dislocated his kneecap in high school, doing a lip sync to Color Me Bad's All for Love, I, forgot I have I have a certain amount of empathy for the boy. <laughs> I forgot about this. Yeah, I'm. I was the same age, uh-huh. but I did it. I did it in front of the entire student body. <laughs> That's right, and uh, and I do remember you kind of limping off the stage. You know, kind of trying to stay in character, but yeah. also being in intense pain. 
Oh yeah, when your kneecap is uh, going the other direction, uh, you're not you're not you don't really know what to do. The the, the term the show must go on does come come to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there comes a point where I'm like, I is this is this broken? I don't know. Yeah. See, I think. All right, so that's interesting because I do think he had a little bit of an adrenaline at the very beginning, and the pain didn't really hit in until we were on the way to the ER. Mm-hmm. My guess is that you've got stage adrenaline that's kind of helping yeah. you out initially, right? Right, right. Yeah, and I remember going into the locker room, and um, and then they called a school nurse in, and she said, do you want me to pop it into place or do you want to have a doctor do it and i said i would like a professional doctor no offense but someone who doesn't sit in that little office all day <laughs> and she looked over at trevor allen and said hold him oh <laughs> and he, interesting and he bear hugged me and then she whacked it into place well she probably saved you a lot of money well it wasn't you it saved your yeah, parents a lot yeah, of money. yeah 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 Yes, and if they had a podcast, they would they would be. Uh, and if you're listening in from Norway, yes, indeed, we, this all costs money, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. There are some people right now whose kids have gritted themselves to death because they couldn't afford <laughs> the right. ER stay. That's right. So I'm just going to go ahead and and read my description of the funeral. So this is the at the funeral storyline. All the fancy folk of the kingdom gathered to send Lena to Davy Jones' locker. Then they mill around and judge each other. Aegon tells his brother that he doesn't want to marry his sister. You know what? Let me just pause right here. So Aegon tells his brother that he doesn't want his want to marry his sister. Usually, that would be like, <laughs> "This is my guy. This is my guy." Like this is. Yeah. This is that's what you ought to say. You don't want to marry her. Yeah. Um, and, I feel like those words shouldn't have even had to been said out loud, but I appreciate you. <laughs> exactly. And yet, he, this guy is able to make even that line seem super condescending, super arrogant. I, I don't know how he pulls that off. How, how can he say the, the most normal line of the episode uh, and do it in such, such a way that bespeaks his just the deep-seated assholery that that builds his character (laughs) it's something to behold for sure yeah pretty great all right uh he doesn't want to marry his sister luke tells corliss that he doesn't want to be lord of driftmark helena repeats a cryptic verse over and over again lenor is waist deep in ocean crying Viserys tries to make up with Damon. Otto sends a drunken Aegon back to bed. On his way to bed, Viserys calls Alicent by his dead wife's name. Um, I thought it was a fantastic scene. I just think there's there's so many personalities, and they're all kind of negotiating each other, and there's so much that's unsaid, and and everyone's kind of got their masks on. Yeah, it was good to get get the whole band together, right? Because we we haven't seen sure. that in, in a while, um, and so now it's like things are starting to cook, right? And and so we get them all together. It's like it's like when the office did like a Christmas special, right? Like you're like <laughs> sure. well, they're all gonna be in there, yeah. And hijinks are gonna ensue. But this is House of the Dragon version of hijinks, which is just like <laughs> ooh, you know, yeah, yeah. 
Aegon's going to go full Meredith and drink too much. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's a typical teenager. I mean, this is the kind of guy that would hit the gritty and go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd be but he'd be so proud, just like your son. <laughs> um, did you catch that Viserys called Alicent by his... He called her Ama? Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's a couple ways to take that. One is that he's senile. Uh, the other way to look at it is that he's so in his grief that the that this funeral kind of is almost like a callback to his wife's funeral. So that's all he's really thinking about. Mm-hmm. So she's on his mind. And, of course, this is sort of just the reveal that he's still in love with his dead wife. Um, well, how do you how do you take that? I, I took it as his, his now his mental fac- faculties are fading. So he's gone, gone full Biden on us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah it's he's, not he's, enough uh, that he's actually literally falling apart. No, he needs a teleprompter, and be careful with what you put on there. <laughs> uh, I thought that the first time, too, and then I thought it's kind of more interesting. It's like one of those things, like, what's more likely and what's more interesting? Um, I think it might be more interesting if he's just so in love with his wife that he killed, right? Right. He's just so in love with his wife that he's he's going to slip up from time to time and just call his new wife by his old wife's name. To me, that would that would be the sort of the more interesting read. But I could go with either way. I could go. Yeah, with I mean, we're looking at what? How many years since they've been married? Like what? Well, well at least 10. I mean, yeah, at least what? Fifteen? Like yeah, fifteen between years. ten and fifteen. And that is, like I said, I mean, I call my my dogs my kids' name. We 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 go through this. That's fine. But I mean, I it felt like it was a little more of an in, an intentional for me, just an intentional little drop to be like, okay, this is because the, there wasn't a whole lot else that would have. We didn't spend a lot of time with him at the funeral. Mm-hmm. I think we wanted to. I think the more time that we spent with him was him in denial. Him sort of. Well, uh, and we got the whole scene with him, like asking Damon back to court again. This guy. Yeah. He never yeah. learns. He never well, learns. That, and so and then, so for me, reading the uh, mistaken name the way I did, I see the the Damon thing as kind of like. Maybe he doesn't remember everything, and the fact that mm-hmm. Otto is the hand again also suggests that maybe, maybe it isn't that he's just trying to go back to what he knows. Is that maybe he's not remembering certain things as well as he? Yeah, as he maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. And he's sure. ripe. He's ripe for. The, and she treats him as if he's completely, uh, you know, feeble <laughs> when, when when she wants. Oh him yeah, yeah. And I, you get a sense that this is kind of how she's been treating him for several years. Right. Um, because even when he stamps his foot and uses his, his big king voice, she's like rolling her eyes. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's and this this was almost like it's whether she had been just playing it better, you know, uh, in, in front of people, but behind the scenes, she treats him like the feckless leader that he right. is. Yeah. Um, or if this was just like it felt like all the all the the unspoken secrets came out right, not just. Mm-hmm. Uh, about uh, uh, the boys, but I think also like like who's running this show? The queens running the show. Like everybody sort of just played their hand at this point. Yeah, yeah. It was all all sort of got out in the open. Okay. I mean, the way they the way they referred to uh, you know uh, Lenora's paramour, there was a lot more matter of factness. 
Well, and I do think that this. I'll, I'll save that. I'll say I was gonna. I was gonna make a bold statement, but I think I'll save that for later. Um, what do you think about Helena? Um, Spider Girl. Uh, well, obviously, I. I mean, she's got. She's got a little something going on. Was she? Is she? Uh, can, can she see? future so that that i think is that's my reading on this i feel like this this show did a lot to lay the groundwork for these targaryen dreamers right Mm -hmm. and the 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 targaryens have these prophetic dreams and so and of course viserys thought he was going to be a dreamer but his dreams are worthless or at least that's how he views them and i think that we're supposed to be thinking Hmm. Who's who? What's she all about? Yeah, I mean, she makes that comment the uh, the previous episode about uh, you'll have to give an eye, right, or close an eye, yeah, yep. to get a dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he'll have to close an eye or something like that. Um, and of course, that that's that comes out in this this episode. And so here's what she says over and over. She says, "Hand turned loom." Spool of green, spool of black, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. Um, I don't really know what to do with that. I mean, there, uh, like I could, I could probably guess at a few of these. You know, who, you know, what, what is the hand in this world? And we know what greens and blacks mean. And mm. I think that we'll probably have better ideas on retrospect. But do, does that does that do anything for you, or is that just kind of like? Some cool it, shit people say before you drop a cap in their ass. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I, I'm of the mind that, um, you know, stay tuned next week to find out what the hell she was talking about um, <laughs> sure. might, be, might be in store. Because when she said the thing about, you know, be patient about the dragon, you know, to close an eye, we were like, uh, okay, creepy girl. Um, and, but it stuck with you, right? Like it resonated. Uh-huh. So when it, when it comes to fruition, it's like, oh yeah, that's what, that's what she was talking about. And so that's sort of triggers that. So now I think we're looking at her as mm-hmm. sort of the, the, uh, built in Easter eggs, right? Or she's the, she's the spoiler alert. Sure. Character. Um, so and I, I don't when know. We sh- when we first met her, she was looking at the centipede and she was saying the last one has broken e- legs. And I, and I think a few people have noticed like, well, if you think of like, the the kings that reign on the Iron Throne, the last one does have broken legs, meaning Bran the Broken. Mm. So I don't really know if that's what they were going for with that, but I, I do think that there's an interesting parallel here with this scene that was so important to our first viewing of, or your first viewing of Game of Thrones, where Tyrion is talking about cousin Orson who's smashing yeah. the bugs. Yeah, for sure. That came to mind when she when she crushes the the insect. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's something there's some commentary here about the nature of gods and monsters that is relevant and Anyway, you'll remember if you remember Game of Thrones that Tyrion and Jamie are in a jail cell and he says, you know, we used to have this simple cousin named Orson and he used to smash beetles all the time. And one of the things that we came up with was, you know, these gods are so impervious that they might not even have intentions. They might just be doing things in the way that a simple minded person does things. 
in other words, you don't under, really understand why they're doing what they're doing. Gods and monsters just do things because that's what they do. Yeah, and then the separation of like the beetle would be obsessed with theoretically with like, well, why, 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 why spare me but kill those beetles? And what, what is, what is the rationale? Yeah, like what? And what, then you get up further. And beetles, like, eh. beetles are never going to be able to come up with the any kind of clue about the motives of someone like cousin Orson. And it's almost like saying Tyrion, you're never going to come up with what sort of motivates a god. Yeah, and the ultimate fear for anybody who it believes in a higher power is that the higher power just doesn't really care. <laughs> sure. That it is, that they are, like, they're like, you know, we, we want them to have this grand plan for the things that happen. And this comes out through this episode where they talk about, uh, like, you know, when even Lenore talks about, like, why did the gods make me this way? Uh, and if you take, if you go back to the Orson tale, the, the lesson could be the gods don't, even care about the guys don't even care you are or there was also a scene with corliss where Mm -hmm. he's he's talking about i forget what he's talking about probably legacy or something um and his and and renice says um maybe the gods have forsaken us maybe they've cursed us uh, because of our pride and then if you think about the way that this this episode is framed we start with the funeral and we end with a, a wedding both of those rituals are appealing to higher powers to sort of mm-hmm. endorse a human institution. Uh, so I do think that there's something crucial to that theme. And I, I don't think we have enough information to know exactly what she is predicting. But I think I do think that Helena has some kind of insight into, if not a higher power, then at least some sort of some sort of vision of the future. Yeah, I think I think uh, if and it was hard to hear than the last episode. I think I used closed caption, but she does say something along the lines of um, uh, "gritty so hard you get a copay." <laughs> I should I should have uh, yeah yeah you should have really yeah I, that that's I'll go back and take take a look at the subtitles for that because <laughs> I'm sure that I'm going to have to fill out some paperwork and I, I'm going to need to know. <laughs> What the, the comorbidities are for my son's <laughs> kneecap. The um was this this is so far this season, this is the uh for me it was the one that I had to close caption the most. Well, and... I always close I for me I always close caption the second time I watch. Oh, okay. Um okay. was it now okay, so you had to close caption it the most. Did you also have a brightness problem? Oh yeah, I try to crank it. And, and did uh, that help? No, nah, a little bit. Interesting. But yeah, that, that seems to be a common uh, um, complaint. At least Facebook was making me aware that I was not alone. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go ahead and move on past the funeral. Renice blames Damon for Lena's death and suggests that the gods have scorned them for their pride. Then she tells him that he is driven by ambition, not justice. Corliss appeals to legacy, which doesn't seem to impress his wife. Renice asks that Driftmart pass to Bela, who carries Corliss's blood. Corliss says that history only remembers names. I used to think that Otto was like the most Tywin. Mm. I think that Corliss is the most Tywin. Interesting. I mean, he he's all about legacy, right? He's all mm-hmm. about legacy. He, in fact, 
he doesn't he almost doesn't care about his his daughter. He's almost like, well, you know, daughters come, daughters go. And then you kind of see him see his reaction to his son's dead body at the end of this episode or what he thinks is his son's dead body. This guy, oh my gosh, he he's so focused on you know what people are going to think about his family four generations from now. He absolutely doesn't care about his kids in the in the present. Yeah. His his children, their lives had gone a very uh, unique direction, and it was in in an effort to sort of bind the houses. And now, I mean, especially now, it's like, well, now what do you have? <laughs> well, both of his kids had political marriages, and yeah. that was because of their father and their father's desires. I mean, there's a certain sort of societal pressure for highborn kids or whatever, but. This is this is one of the most ambitious men we've met, and, and he lost, and he's essentially lost both of his children to their own exactly. satisfaction, right? I mean, like they're, they they assumed agency, and one was the both involved death. One one that's right, real, yeah, yeah. One, Lena's uh, like, I'm going. I, look, you you forced me into this role. Now this pregnancy is going to kill me. I'm going to go out. I'm going to choose to die how I want to die. This is sort of my final act of agency. And then of course his son does the same thing, uh, deciding that he's not going to, he's not going to live with the marriage that, that was arranged for him. And also, I mean, there's the, there's the disguise factor of, of the, uh, losing the, the platinum locks, but I think there's something very symbolic there too, right? I mean, it's such ah, a, nice. ti- I hadn't such, a about that. such a tie to, to the, the family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry my father's dreadlocks anymore. Yeah. All right, so um, I thought that was a really fantastic, and I think that his, I think his wife is sort of like she's so in her grief that she cannot stand his bullshit anymore. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I'm raw. I can't deal with your bullshit right now. It's clear to me that you have no desire for justice. This is all about ambition for you. Because if it was about justice, you would care what I think, and I don't think this is a good idea. Right, because if because this whole thing is you're using me as sort of the centerpiece for your yes. your plans, yet at the same time you're not respecting me enough. Where like you, you think I should be the heir to the throne, but I can't even have a conversation where I, I <laughs> dictate where what we should do. That's you know? right. So it's, it's pretty. That's it's a pretty. Uh, it's a pretty good moment, right? I mean, I think it's a. It, there's a lot that is done there. Um, to talk about, you know, sort of the the uh, marriage dynamic in that in that circumstance, and and it reveals so much about both of them. Yeah, that's right. Okay, this next storyline is um, Renera and Damon. The uncle and niece walk along the beach. They talk about the nature of political marriages and the death of Harwin. Damon suggests that Otto and Alicent are behind the arson. Renera protests. Then the conversation turns to their own relationship. Renera declares her desire for Damon, and then they do what Targaryens do best. Later, after the fight, Renera proposes marriage to her uncle. The two marry, complete with some weird cutting ritual. All right, this is sort of the heart. I think not of just this episode, but probably the whole first season. What, what happens between these two characters in this particular storyline? And I think it's this. I think it was on my second watch of this when I realized, like, 
I thought I was watching something else, but now I realize I'm watching Breaking Bad. Mm. I feel like I was, I thought maybe I was watching Stranger Things and I was kind of waiting for it, you know? It's like, what about Arya and her wolf? I want to see Bran and his magic (laughs) dreams. And I want to see like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was hoping for, but I realized in this storyline, I thought, oh no, everyone, I can't root for anyone. Everyone in this episode is Walter White. Mm. Um, because the show is basically using all the kind, all of the tricks that that you use on screen to make me feel that these two are in love and to root for it, right? And yet I know that these Targaryens are deep down evil people. They're just mm-hmm. evil. They're rotten to the core, and it, and it's kind of brought up with this. So Damon says. We are all capable of depravity. And she says, well, I believe you are. And he says, well, if you're going to accuse me of some depravity, you're going to have to name what it is. And to me, it was like, that's that's who he is. He, he's, he is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and so is she. And these two are going to do horrible things together. I mean, outside of incest. And I think that that, I think I'm supposed to be thinking, I, you know, I was trying to compare this at first with like John and Danny, because the kind of music they would play over John and Danny was like, Oh no, I kind of, I'm kind of rooting for them, but I know it's kind of gross and they don't know yet. Oh no. Right, right, right. Yeah. In this one, I'm like, (laughs) no, everyone knows. Everyone knows, including these two characters. And these Targaryens are totally fine with it. And we and and I don't know if I'm supposed to feel fine with it, but I don't feel fine with it. I feel like I'm watching like like the Nature Channel or something. I'm I'm watching. Yeah, you, you have you ever seen like lions have sex? More than I probably should admit. I <laughs> like I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, nope, nope, nope. That's <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. Don't it's, do that. It, it is an interesting trick that they did, and we talked about this going into, but you know as we anticipated like uh-huh. how do we you know you can't tell the story without telling the story uh-huh. right i mean it's and and there was how are they going to be able to pull that off can they pull it off what what's what's that reaction going to be and i think they've done a, a pretty pretty amazing job of where i'm like i do not think this is good <laughs> but i'm not repelled because in the world in the mm-hmm. universe that they've created and the way that they've established the characters i'm like it's repellent in my world but it but this is this makes sense in this narrative and to not go there would would feel weird well it's a little bit like walter white in the sense that like you're absolutely interested in what he does next you're fascinated with what how his mind works his mind in that world of crime is like a superpower. And so you know that he's breaking bad. You, you absolutely know that he, nothing's going to end well for him. Um, this is all going to end badly. It's, it's sort of like foreshadowed in the very first episode of Breaking Bad. And, and yet you can't take your eyes off him. And I think that that's true for, for almost every character on this. And, and especially for Renera and Damon. 
Like I am yeah. endlessly fascinated with these two characters and I know that they are both villains and they're going to do horrible things and including incest on the beach, which is my least favorite drink, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's all pretty much all the same alcohol anyway. Um, it's all Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> um, so anyway, the other thing is like, again, with the weird, like I'm watching some exotic bird ritual or something like, you, you know, my feeling about how people cut palms. Mm. Like yeah. if you're going to, if you're on, like, for some reason, people in movies, like if they need blood from themselves, they cut their palm. Yeah. Like don't do it there. That you're going to need that. <laughs> that that that's important. Like cut yourself somewhere else. But then also cutting lips? Yeah. And then kissing with those cut lips. Yeah, it, it, to me this that's is like It's never going to heal. It's never going to heal, bro. <laughs> I'm just feeling like who are these weird people doing these exotically odd rituals? I Again, I, I, I absolutely feel like I'm watching a nature show. This is like not my species. Again, another brilliant move by the showrunners to be like, okay, look, you know what? While we're still like processing incest, we're like, ah, don't cut your lip. You know, like that becomes the priority. <laughs> it, it, uh, I did wince a bit. I'm thinking, eh. not, and not when they cut it, but when they were kissing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oops, and it could be that. that that's intentional. It's like you're not supposed to feel comfortable with this. Right. Yeah. The Targaryens just, they can't do one thing without being a little extra. <laughs> Oh my gosh! What an amazing, what an amazing feat of television. This, these two, and they had such great lines. You know, Lucifer is capable of depravity. We're more than you would believe. I believe it of you. If you're accusing me of some depravity, you'll need to be more specific. I've been alone. You abandoned me. I spared you. You were a child. Yes. Yes, I was a child. And look at what my life became without you. Droll tragedy. Well, I wonder what you think of mine by comparison. I know little of it. Did you love her? We were happy enough. Well, that in itself is a great achievement. I am sorry. Don't be. I am at least allowed to mourn my losses. You really get a sense, like they've really laid some interesting groundwork to bring these two characters together. And then later in the episode, you know, they're talking in valerian and they're basically saying you know we we are made of fire i think we were meant to burn together mm-hmm. i mean one way that you could look at that is like you know that, that's romantic they're, they're gonna burn together the other way to look at that is like this is how they go out they're gonna be like meteors they're, they're gonna yeah. burn hot and bright and they're gonna absolutely burn burn well away. it's you could just see danny's line there right i mean like that just sort of feels like it's 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 these these dragons aren't for show. You know, yeah, we we we're gonna we're to individually, 
you know, we're hot. <laughs> but together we are, you know, we're an inferno. Yeah, and look, they are. They, I mean, that, those two, I cannot, when they're on screen, I can't take my eyes off them. But I, I, at the same time, I'm absolutely aware of what I'm watching. I, I know exactly that I'm watching, uh, you know, two Walter White's characters who fall in right. love. Well, and, and that's the other part of it is like, it's so easy because we saw her as a young girl to be like, oh, Damon's manipulating her. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> mm. Like, I don't know who's who's running this show. And it's an interesting uh, question is, is will they be equally yoked through this? And is that is that because that's a, a, a pretty unique dynamic in, in, in this type of, of show or. Or uh, will there be, you know, a power play amongst them? And how does that play out? And uh, who do you root for and why? Well, okay. Yeah, let's let's figure this out. So who who is more, who do you, who do you worry more about? The mastermind who's like slowly, methodically playing the long game or the chaos tornado? Right. Because they're both think, dangerous in in very different ways, right? They, yeah, they both bring yeah. Because because one is you know you, you, they're looking ahead, but you can only anticipate that which seems predictable, right? And if you've got someone who's who's freeform jazz, yeah, uh, and and that's what I that's what I think I really loved about. Uh, so this is like in between. So so post beach pre wedding when you've got then we'll get to that storyline. I know in more detail, but when um, when you know there's there's the uh, basically the the <laughs> child's on on trial for all to see and and there's right. all these solutions being offered up. Um, Renero's approach is very like it's very motherly, but it also feels it felt stilted, and I felt like it was intentionally stilted. Like this is the rule. This is this is how I this is how I'm supposed to act. Yeah, adding a certain level of of a sociopath nature. Like, like, I don't doubt she loves her kids, but I also know that she's just digging her heels in. And her kids are kind of a prop now. And they're kind of an opportunity for her to, to sort of expose Allison and this whole situation. And Damon's, Damon the entire time is completely unmoved. He's just eyes twitching, shifting, watching everything, smirking a little bit. And it was, that to me was like, oh, what's gonna come next? with these two what is like says is he going to be super stoked about his step sons that are not of his you mm-hmm. know of his he's lineage. all about the targaryen lineage right? right and and so what do you do we've already talked about what happens what happens when a rightful heir comes along what can they do to the the presumed heir or anybody that could challenge the throne well they go away uh-huh. yeah and so there was almost this sense of like the smirk kind of almost felt like he's like <laughs> yeah you, you're protecting them now and you know we're worried about one of their eyes but they're they're both expendable that's okay that's kind of, and all not just those two but all those kids right i'm all those so kids glad you brought up that theme that, that that scene that that to me it was so amazing to watch these these all of these really amazing actors just throwing 100 mile an hour heat at each other you know, Viserys is like in rare form, and Alicent finally lets her veil down, and Rhaenyra is like 
she's just you know you just re- you've just revealed yourself to everyone in this room and there's amazing dialogue like, like shakespearean level dialogue but the person that i'm most interested in is a person with zero dialogue it's the guy looming in the corner smirking yeah that damon has no lines in that scene and yet he's the most interesting guy in the entire scene and he's the, he was the one that was, to me, the most menacing. And someone was going to stab another kid's eye out. <laughs> another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, let, let's talk about this next one. This is uh, Amond Gets a Big Old Dragon. <laughs> Amond sneaks up on Vagar while she sleeps. The boy almost gets himself in bed, but says a couple magic words to calm the dragon. He climbs atop the dragon and tells it to fly. This was like the magic I was waiting for. Mm. You know, this was sort of the, the, I've been sort of lamenting that this is a a fantasy narrative without any magic. This is everything I was, I mean, this guy, this boy sneaking up on this dragon, you you know, you know, it's, this is the kind of show where a kid like that gets burned, right? Right. Um, and to just to just see the balance of power shift, oh, yeah. uh, so I, I was I was thrilled with that scene. Well, I I loved what the show this show does. What you know, it's like Game of Thrones. You know, is is often like in this particular scenario, would be like a Tw- Quentin Tarantino directed Pete's Dragon or something, because <laughs> yeah, it is. Right. You have this moment where it's like it's it's full of magic and mystery, and then mm-hmm. and and. The effects are at their peak. Um, the the kid, like this, is a kid who's been picked on, um, who's kind of of all the kids so far. He kinda well, he's a, a he's bit. a kid that's been bullied. He's I've been bullied my whole life, and what I really want to be is the guy who bull- bullies other people. Right. Well, you don't really get that sense yet, right? But I get that sense of like there is that point where you're like, oh wow, look, the kid that's getting bullied now he's got his dragon. Yeah, mm-hmm. you take yeah. that, all you right, right. you bratty kids throwing a pig his way, and then he gets his dragon and just comes in and it's just like I'm gonna crush skulls. <laughs> like I got I got take, big it dragon didn't take energy. Five minutes. <laughs> it didn't take five minutes. All he had to do was climb on the dragon once, and he's gone full Targaryen. Exactly. Like I said, that big dragon energy ain't nothing to mess with. <laughs> Um, just a little bit of a uh, sort of book lore on this in, in Martin's world, a wild dragon is significantly more difficult to tame than a dragon that's been ridden before. 
Okay. Which makes sense, you know. That helps. And that helps. I mean, because there, there was a moment of like, serious? But then I'm also like, hey, Targaryens and magic. This is what this is what going through Game of Thrones has done. Well, it's and it's you broken can... me down into magic. Sure. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're all in. So I, I did like the idea that, okay, so now it's a little bit like, um, it's a little bit like Park Place or Broad, Broadway, Broadway? Boardwalk. Boardwalk, Boardwalk, yeah. Boardwalk or Park Place on Monopoly in that, okay, here's the biggest dragon in the kingdom. And it's out there. And it's been ridden before. It's been ridden a lot. So this is, if you want it, you got to go out and take it. And here you have this kid. He just decides he's going to go do it. And it pays off. All of the other politics that were happening on Driftmark, nothing is more important than who claims this dragon. And they and everyone else took their eye off the ball, and Aemon is like, "I'm I'm going to get this dragon," and of course he loses an eye for it. But it, but Otto is right at the end of it. He's like, "Boy, that was that was a pretty decent trade." Right. So, anyway, I thought that that for, for a show that is sort of downplaying the magic, that was a pretty thrilling scene. No doubt. I mean, I was I was all into it. Um, and then that, again, the, the the subsequent battle in like the the little caves or tunnel or whatever that was it was so dramatic and so edge of your seat and especially jarring after sort of this I don't say whimsical but just this like this fanciful flight through the air and you go I mean it, yeah. it's the show puts puts you through so many different um, emotions like super fast right I mean it, it's such a, a a zig and a zag and I just I. And it was done, I think, very, very deftly. I thought it was done. Yeah, it was well. like it's like the flight of the navigator came back, and it was turned out to be Joffrey. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like this guy's awesome. Oh, it's like no, it's like, he's it, the worst. It's like if you had pod racing, then immediately little Anakin gets off and just starts killing younglings. <laughs> um. Okay. Now this is the kids' fight. Amond, with his newfound arrogance, bullies the Valerian girls and calls Jace Lord Strong. The kids fight until Luke throws dirt in Amond's face and Jake pokes his eye out. The children and the parents convene at court and are berated by King Viserys. The king demands to know the source of the gossip. Aegon states plainly what everyone knows. The boys are not true-born Valerians. The king demands for everyone to kiss and make up. Alicent would rather have a child's eyeball and command Sir Kristen to do it. When the king declares the matter finished, Alicent goes after Rhaenyra with a knife. This could be one of the best scenes of the, the entire uh, season so far. The, the dialogue is like full-on Shakespearean, you know, like, where is duty? Where is sacrifice? It's trampled under your pretty foot again. And then the the retort is exhausting, wasn't it? To hide beneath the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. Yeah. Just throwing heat. Just amazing dialogue. And as we were saying before, you've got Damon in the wings, like looking on with a smirk. Um, Excellent writing. Excellent writing. Excellent acting. Uh, Fantastic scene. It's such a, a... 
a jolting episode after the like the last one we talked about really was sort of resetting and and laying the foundation for where we were going to go next and so mm-hmm. while it was well it wasn't like a bad episode it definitely had a element of we're just putting the pieces in place and and th- this one just cranked i mean it just went to town all, all these characters together and that was i think even like such like going back to the having everybody at the funeral the somber occasion where everyone should be unified by you know like mourning right the idea is like when all else you know like if if a politician perishes then the the, the partisan uh bickering takes a night off right mm-hmm. <laughs> and and in this case it was like you can't get us together without everything going to shit mm-hmm. <laughs> just well and it's also it's sort of like you almost saw the f- the fight by proxy through the kids right mm-hmm. the kids are just echoing what they hear their parents saying um so these kids really you know they would probably be pretty good friends if it wasn't for their parents talking behind each other's backs right and so that goes badly you know, one of them loses an eyeball and the other one gets called, you know, the other one gets called a bastard. But really, the, the it's it's not just an insult. It's it's a it's a question of legitimacy. And it's a, and it's also, you know, <laughs> it's one thing to go from uh, I will be the king someday to, well, do I get exiled or? You know, yeah, like, yeah. Do I, get, is... do I get punished for the sins of the father? And everyone believes, everyone kind of knows it, except for maybe Viserys or whatever, but and I think deep down he kind of knows it too, but he does, I think he, he's sort of under the delusion that if we all c- just keep on saying the right things to each other, this is all going to work out. Well, and I, it's it's hard to know, right, with Viserys, because I, I don't think he, I don't think he's that daft, right? I think he knows but I think that he also believes that uh, when, he, cause when, he, when when you speak of duty, when you speak of allegiance and loyalty, and like his whole rule has just been like, "Isn't this what I'm supposed to do? Isn't this what I'm supposed to do?" And it's like, and now mm-hmm. you guys are supposed to just not do this, okay? You guys are supposed to respect us no matter what, and that's kind of what I get out of this, right? Is that you should be able to take us at our word, even if all the evidence suggests otherwise, even if you, you know, you know. It reminds me of a, of a, of a, a once great leader of our own country that was just basically, "Don't believe what you see or hear. Uh, believe yeah. me." And there's an element of that with with Viserys that kind of says, "Look, I, I know uh, we all know I'm a I'm an ineffectual king, but the bottom line is I'm still the king, and what I say goes. And if I say this didn't, those are her actual kids with with Lenore, then they are, and that's just it. And the fact that anybody has the question, it really kind of it really demonstrates even when the when uh, um, uh, Aegon just basically is like, look at him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a moment where you can see that the facade of of what it means to be king uh, can kid is is it's so uh, that fragile. was one of those great moments where the teenager in the room kind of just like can cut right to the heart of the matter, right? You know, it's like sometimes a little hungover. <laughs> he's, yeah, right. He's probably a little still still a little bit drunk, and he's like, "Wait, you're yeah, you're no, gonna yeah. actually make me say it, huh?" I know you guys called a family meeting at this reunion, but like my brother's like grotesque now, and <laughs> I just want to party. 
So, yeah, dude. Look what's at the him, quickest pal. way for me to be done with this conversation so I can get back to whatever I was doing? <laughs> I got a friend of mine who gritted so hard he went to the hospital, and now I got to one-up him. <laughs> so, anyway, I, you know, he just says it. He just says, we all know. Like, everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. Like, that that uh, it's super underrated part for me because like so many other things I remember, but as we walk through it, uh, that one I was just like I love like it's just this big dramatic like he's just ready. He's like oh, as soon as I find out, oh is they gonna are they gonna say mom told me? When he gets to Aegon, he's just like dude, what like okay boomer, look it's those look at him. <laughs> that was a, a total okay boomer moment for sure. <laughs> it's just absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Um. So I, I loved I loved that Rhaenyra was so patient in that scene because mm-hmm. you kind of got the sense that in her youth she was like a firebrand right she 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 was a little chaos tornado herself mm-hmm. and she was going off and saying things but now you kind of see the older wiser Rhaenyra. And she can just see Allison's about to blow. And if I right. just stand here and look like I'm believing the lie, she, that will absolutely set her off. And now, and th- then she will be revealed. And that's exactly what happens. And, and so all of the facades are gone and everyone kind of knows where the lines are. And I think we're going to see some pretty explosive fireworks in the next few episodes. Yeah, I well, it's it's a huge moment, right? I mean, you've got the the current queen and the uh, you know the who's well, queen by marriage, right? Or the, mm-hmm. the, I guess that's the way you look at it. And then, but then the the actual ruler uh, to be and clock is ticking. And yeah. I and I think that's the, so much of that sense of urgency is is there, right? I mean, like Alison losing it has a lot to do with the fact that like it's just a matter of time. It's, you know, yep. her ability, like she's, you know, whether she's browbeating Renera or, or bring in your kids immediately so I can inspect them and which is, which is a power move. Uh, but it's coming, it's going to come to an end and there's really, mm-hmm. you know, Otto is back in town, which, you know, I think is a big, big deal. Yeah. Um, and, but I mean, Allison, as, as strong as she's shown herself to be, it, it's got a shelf life unless she's got another plan. And, Absolutely. And Rhaenyra is playing the long game because she's like, all I got to do is survive. All I got to do is survive. Yeah, yeah that's and, right. And, and I also have, I've got, I've got a lot of protection in order to make me do that. But once, once you know, once this, uh, this power shifts, I mean, I, I have some scores to settle with you, my, my old friend. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, then there was also a great metaphor in this scene. So that knife we know has the prophecy embedded in it, right? Right. She grabs the knife from her husband's belt. She goes after Rhaenyra, and that is what's between them. It's her face-to-face with her old best friend, and there's a knife between them. And that's exactly what's been between them the whole time. That was why she was put on, you know, the the top of the list for the the, the Iron Throne, that Damon couldn't be trusted with the prophecy. So her father decides, I'm going to share this prophecy with you because I think you can be trusted with the prophecy. But it's this big secret that we're keeping 
And Allison has no idea what the secret is. So anyway, I thought that was a great little metaphor to have the knife between their two faces. It's a good way to read that for sure. Because, um, yeah, I mean, knives matter in this world. We've learned. <laughs> in fact, they do. All right, this next storyline is Allison has trouble. After Allison is done carving fools, she retreats to her room. Otto praises his daughter and says, I promise you, in time, we will prevail. He observes that winning Vagar is the real story. Later on, she tries to talk with the king, but he's suffering too greatly to have a conversation. Then Laris talks to her aboard the king's ship. She tells him that she might need, she might have need of his service in some unnamed future. And what she says to him is, I need someone with not only skill, but discretion. And I thought that was kind of her way of saying, yeah, I might need you to do some dirty stuff, but I need to trust you. (laughs) Maybe don't burn it all down. Yeah. I need to trust you to be a little bit more subtle than burning down castles. (laughs) You know? It's like, I mean, I like your style, but your methods. It was a, it was a good effort. I think, I think maybe we do this a little bit more subtle from here on in. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that that scene had a nice parallel with Rhaenyra's conversation with Damon about depravity. Um, Oh yeah. You know, she, now she has a guy who's willing to, she's got a guy without scruples, right? Damon is without scruples. He will absolutely burn a fool. And Laris is without scruples. He will absolutely burn a fool. It's, it's, man, the the balance of power in, in this, you know, you can kind of see the, the lines drawn here and well, you're almost like seeing, Oh, I don't know. That guy's got auto. She's got auto high tower and Laris. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty impressive. Well, but there is something too. I'm really curious to see what this show does because, um, are these women in power? Or are these women with power that are being manipulated? And I'm curious to see if, if how, how the show portrays them. Well, I feel like Allison She's she's a lot different. She's a much and Otto even notices it. You know, Otto even says, "I never saw this side of you." And like every, I think she's worried. Like I made a bad political mistake, but now she basically won her father over. I think he trusts her in a way that he didn't trust her before. He did. I probably didn't know. Like, do you have what it takes to to do that thing, whatever that thing may be? And I mean, we we basically just calls out game of thrones right yeah that's right (laughs) yeah and which which i thought was was well and this is what this is where we see a little departure from the tywin i feel like no matter how how much promise cersei showed tywin was never gonna back her right right and all of a sudden i think oh you know you you see and maybe it's because, you know, maybe if Otto had sons, he'd think about this differently, right? Mm, yeah, perhaps. But he doesn't have sons. He has her. And so he is absolutely going to – he's, like, fully in her corner at this point. That, that's how Well, and, and also there are – I mean, he could be pouring some of this uh, Tywin-like energy into the grandsons. But he doesn't seem to be all that impressed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> certainly not with, with Aegon. And then uh, with, with Aemon, it was like, hey, look, you know what? Get him an eye. We got a dragon. <laughs> so, I think he's kind of impressed with Aemon. I think he's kind of like, yeah, that was a pretty ballsy move. 
was super stoked to see Otto back. And it was like, again, my first thought was like, really, you're going to go back to Otto? But then I think it really, uh, the Viserys going back to Otto coupled with him asking Damon to come back to King's Landing. Yeah. Which is like, oh my gosh, this guy never bro? learns from his mistakes. But that's, and that's the thing is I can't tell if it's like, is this because that's Viserys just is, is this hopeful optimist or is he just completely out of ideas or is he going a little nutso? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a combo, right? I, I think he's, I think as his faculties are fading, his, uh, his, uh, you know, he's like, I know you. <laughs> Come on back home. Come on. Well, you get the sense. I feel like at the end of that, that uh, courtroom scene where the kids are being berated and there's knives flashing and people are getting cut. I really think that you see very plainly that Viserys is not in charge and he probably hasn't been in charge for a long time. Right. And this is all very public. This is all, you know, when he says this is finished and she grabs his knife and goes after Rhaenyra, that was for everyone to see. Everyone saw her upstage her husband, and I don't think he walks away from this. Right. Uh, he He's never going to be the same king again. So No, 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 for sure. Because, I mean, there's no, and, and it does bring up, like, what do you do? Like, what's your, what's your next move, right? Like. How do you how do you punish a queen in that situation? I mean, historically, you could you could say off with her head, but right, I, he's then, he's absolutely not the kind of person to do that. No, he wants everyone to kiss and make up uh-huh. after like to cut their eyeballs out. Yeah, and just right. because that because I and he's th- his thought is I'm the king and I decree it, so he'd be the kind like I think he thinks he can constantly have his cake and eat it too. So it's just like no, I'll just tell everybody it's settled. The the issue well, is settled. And you almost, yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell everyone it's settled. And what does he say? He says, anyone who questions the legitimacy of these boys, I will cut out their tongues. Mm. If anyone else in Game of Thrones said that, I'd think, uh-oh. But for, for him, I think, no, you're not. Well, he just showed he wasn't going to do anything. <laughs> you're not going to do anything. <laughs> I mean, you just, you can't sit there, do nothing, and say, oh, but the next time, you better believe it's going to be real bad. It's like, you just had people to your face be like, no. Nah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the last storyline. Lenor is discarded. After all the fighting's done, Renair is being stitched. Lenor returns from his nightly revelry or whatever he was doing and says, I should have been there. <laughs> I love this next line. This, oh my gosh, I love this so much. Uh, he declares his devotion for Renera, but Renera hatches a plan with her uncle to discard Lenore, or Lenor, whatever his name is. Damon pays Carl to stage Lenore's death. Okay, when he when he walks in, and like he's got that stupid look on his face. Just like, what happened here? What did I miss this time? <laughs> Whoa, you're all bloody. I just I la I I paused it. I just laughed. This guy is like, he's just so funny. Yeah, he's just living his best life. Let me just give him a little bit of credit here. Maybe he wasn't out with Carl. Maybe he was mourning. Right? We saw he's he's absolutely broken up over his his sister's death. Um. So maybe he's just out mourning all night, or maybe Possibly. he's doing both. I don't know. Right. We all mourn in our own ways. It should have been our house words. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. 
I, the look on her face is almost as good as the look on his face. She's looking at him like again She's with like this a, guy. She had like the 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 worst possible stitching. I mean, the people. The, <laughs> I mean, there were when these maesters were, were when these maesters were earning uh, merit badges. That stitching looked like um, I don't know, like a connect the dots on like a four year old's <laughs> yeah. assignment or something. It's probably gonna scar. And he's I like, like talk. He's like talking. He's like, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be scar. Well, yeah, it's gonna <laughs> scar. Exactly. Yeah, for sure, it's gonna scar. It probably would have scarred less if I would have just let it heal on its own. <laughs> All right, so then they sit down there. They're 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 chatting it up, and uh, she and he he, to his credit, he says, "You deserve a husband, and I'm going to be a good father to to these boys. I'm going to raise them up. They're going to be lords of the kingdom. I'm going to leave Carl to the stepstones, and I will be the husband you always deserved." Uh, that that's me. Like anytime I've drank too much and I don't feel good, and I'm just like, no, you know, what? I'm never gonna drink again. You know, probably gonna start working out. <laughs> this is like, it's like it's like me eating a donut, thinking, yep, never again, never gonna eat yeah. another donut. Well, this is fun. This will be the last one I ever do. <laughs> so, so when he says you deserve a husband, I think she's thinking, yeah, I do, and it's not you, right? I know who it's gonna be. And uh, we're shipping you off, man. Again, sort of like this fanciful moment uh, where where Amond is is riding Vagar, and you're kind of like, oh, you're kind of swept up in the moment. Like here we have mm-hmm. uh, uh, Laner Lenore being like, all right, he's getting it, he's figuring it out. Like yeah, he's finally, right. finally a little bit of growth on this guy. Yeah, and then like, okay, well, you know. Here we go. Like this will be interesting to see how this dynamic. Because I was, I was like legitimately like, oh, I wonder how this dynamic is going to work going forward. Like yeah. I'm curious to see. I, I was curious to see him as an actor do this character and, and see how it plays out. And then what does it do? It just the show zags on you. <laughs> like whoa. And it absolutely. Just, it was... And and were you um were you fooled? Did did did, did they get you the old switcheroo? Did you think that they really had him killed? Um, I think it, I mean, initially, but I, I when, uh, because like the whole time I'm like, well, why did Damon kill that dude? Right. Like that was, mm-hmm. so that was, that was still playing over and in my head and like everything was moving so fast. I was pretty, I, I think I was fooled. Uh, and then like right after, before we saw the, you know, the reveal, I was kind of like, I don't know that. They, I mean, the show was, you know, the show didn't show. And we've talked about that, right? I mean, it's it'd be interesting to not show him be thrown into the fire or whatever. We just see the after effect. So there was there was a lot of ambiguity from a, like, intentional from the director that I mm-hmm. was curious. Um, but I, I, had, I think I bought it. Did you buy it initially? I did because... I'm pretty sure that he dies in the books, or at least that's oh, the history that the history of it is that he dies. Uh, and then there's some question around it, I, I think. But I really, you know, the, the history is like, of course, the histories get it wrong from time to time. Well, and I think, too, the reason why I, I bought it initially is because that seems more on brand for Damon and maybe even Rhaenyra, right? Like, who you know what is it going to take to move to this next level well then if he's got to die he's got to die like that that would that almost seems more on brand to me than helping him hatch a scheme to 
to go away. Mm-hmm. So that that part of that, so when we do the reveal, I actually had the wow. They let him live. That's weird. <laughs> so okay, so I've got a third level. Like I, I so first off, my first reading of this was like, um, oh no, they killed him. Yeah, I, th- I thought I thought you know I thought he was he's sort of rounding in the character. It's too bad. And then it, then it was like, oh, that was so nice. They didn't really kill him. Then I had this third wave where I realized. Well, they killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's like, oh, good for them. why? Why they're murdering? They these two absolutely murdered someone, and I'm not supposed to care because that person's not a Targaryen or a Valerian or right. That person's not a Blondie. So who cares? That's just some nameless guard. Um. Yeah, sure. It's great that they didn't kill Lenore, but. Uh, they they absolutely murdered someone to make this happen. So <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah, and that's that's what I think that's what the show does, right? Yep. It, you cut their lips so you forget their hips. You know, <laughs> so it just sort of. <laughs> that was really good. All right, um, dismemberment count. Uh, we we absolutely lost an eye. We certainly did. Um, and then, uh, cheeks speak, uh, zero, I'm, I'm zero, cheeks, zero. Zero, zero cheeks to speak of. Yeah. So you took the under and you were right on that. Feels good to win every once in a while. Cheeks speak for next week. Uh, I'm sitting the line at, at one cheek. We're like one, one cheek. side cheek. Side cheek. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the over. Take, take the, the over on one side cheek. Oh, for sure. I think that, I think that's easy money. In fact, if you're at home playing. Take the over, smash the over, as they say, in the in the sports books. All right, I'm going to take the over too. Um, and then because I don't know where I, I don't know where I'm supposed to set the line on this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not easy. Uh, it's it's it, this show has absolutely confounded expectations on a lot of fronts. All right, finally, uh, was this a Dorn, a Danny, or a Dinklage episode? For uh, it was a rock solid Dinklage for me. Yeah, I'm gonna say Dinklage plus one on this. I like it. I like it. I feel I'm, like I ain't mad at it. I, I I tell you what, man. Like, it was the thrill of the dragon riding, but on top of that, it was all of the intrigue and just the potential for the future. I feel like, boy, this thing is heating up, and I, th- this thing is just going to explode. And to be honest. I'm. I think I'll probably be less impressed with the actual explosion than I was with this episode. That, that's just my guess. So this was seven, right? So we have three more. Yeah, that's right. So I'm curious to see if the show is going to do follow the typical Game of Thrones framework, right? Where your penultimate takes you for this, throws you for a loop, and you feel like yeah. you can't. Yeah, penultimate episodes of Game of Thrones were like Ned Ned gets beheaded or the Red Wedding or you know things like that. Right. So is that what we're going to see in this in this case? You know, I mean, this is a pretty big episode. I mean, there's there's I mean, we had our 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 wedding scene, but like you know, it, it's you know, it's the big death or something major, right? But I mean, this is a this there's a lot going on here. I man. don't know if this show can do that in the way Game of Thrones did. Um Maybe because of the amount of characters so far. Well, it's it's about the uh, it's about the character development. 
It's right. like um, because this show has done so many time jumps mm. that you can't kill off a B character and really make it have like affect you emotionally. It's like you know Har- Harwin and and, and uh, Lord Strong died. Lionel and Harwin died last episode. That would have absolutely been affecting if I had just spent ten episodes with those guys. Right. Yeah, so it'll be interesting too because you could you could you could critique the show a little bit for not maybe living in that tension as much, right? Well, the other thing about this is that like every episode we think, well, Viserys is absolutely gonna be dead. Right. <laughs> yeah. The twist on this one is Viserys lives forever. This guy can absolutely not die. It's just <laughs> He's he's just a head in a jar. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, the boys are back in town. Just in time to heat up summer, our favorite blood-soaked, darkly humorous deconstruction of the superhero mythos returns on Amazon Prime Video. The boys season four gets started on June 13th, but we'll get the drop on them with our preseason preview coverage the week before. It's been a while. A lot's happened since last season. Two whole years, labor dispute, that kind of thing. But we'll be catching you up on all the major plot points and character beats as we left things off. Plus, we'll be looking at the trailers and latest news to piece together what to expect. I know one thing to expect. Right off the bat, they're dropping three debut episodes for the premiere. Woo! But otherwise, who knows? Will Gus Fring reveal why he has absolutely no fear of Homelander? And while we're on that topic, will Butcher and the boys figure out a way to stop Christian nationalist Superman? Will those crazy kids, Monster Man and Starlight, find a way to make things work? Come laugh, cry, and maybe even throw up in your mouth a little with us as we discover the answers for ourselves this season of The Boys. Find it by searching for the Department of Homelander Security wherever you listen to podcasts, or subscribe to Ball Move Pulp to get all our coverage of sci-fi, fantasy, and superheroic entertainment. I'm in the inner circle, you know. I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a strategic mind at court. Do I view it as ideal to have a warrior king because men will follow the warrior, you know? People will follow the warrior, and so you need a strong man on the throne or is it more ideal to have an infant on the throne? Because then I get to be in charge and I can kind of boss this guy around. 
Yeah, so I suppose it depends on what it is you're looking to get out of it. And I suppose in relation to something like Game of Thrones, most of the characters would probably fall into the latter camp. Right, everyone's <laughs> Machiavellian, right? Yes, everyone, everyone's looking to, to make as much, take as much advantage as they can for themselves. I think, to be honest, I think most people in the medieval period, though, would probably prefer an adult male monarch. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Because I think it's just... Nobody likes these periods of turmoil because because nobody knows where they stand. The the the, the, the medieval hierarchy is, is quite sacrosanct. That the people understand how it works and, and actually want it to work because I think they they realise by and large that everyone kind of benefits um, when things are up in the air, when there is disruption, when when there isn't that clear leadership from the top that's when difficulties arise and that's when you might mm. be um, in danger of losing out to to your neighbor who might be more interest, self-interested than, than you are perhaps. Um, so I, I think I think normally that is the case. And, and you know, you do have examples where th- there is trouble when you have a young monarch. Rich, when Richard II succeeds in England, he's the grandson of Edward III um, and he succeeds at a relatively young age. But, but his father had lots of brothers. Uh, and so you have all these royal uncles uh, around the king, around the young king. Right. Uh, and that's that's potentially dangerous because it only <laughs> takes one of them to start flexing his muscles. Uh, and then you have the potential for an alternative. Uh-huh. Uh, an alternative. Muscular yeah. uncles are always a problem. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, that, that, you know, I think the same is true again in, in Scotland. You have the extended Stuart kin because there are so many of them. Um, someone like James the First has various royal uncles round about him, and it's it's difficult to keep them all in check. It's difficult to keep them in order sure. because they are themselves uh, of the royal blood, and they might well think that they have a claim to the throne themselves. So right. keeping them in order, keeping them happy, is not the easiest thing, especially for a young a young monarch uh, new to the role. All right, this is from me. So, in House of the Dragon, we have this fantasy world where the noblemen are also the most fierce and most valuable military assets because the noblemen have these connections to dragons right (laughs) right so i mean i guess the analog here would be like the knights have a connection to a horse and the horse is valuable in military terms yeah so then the question that i have is when what point in history do these medieval warrior kings and medieval warrior noblemen start to recede you know behind the walls and become the political minds or the 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 face of the country or whatever when do these warrior kings fade uh and just become politicians well that's a good question um i mean i think you you always throughout the middle ages you You'll have some kings who are still warrior kings, and you'll have other kings who are more the politicians. I think that increasingly becomes a divide from, I don't know, maybe the 12th or 13th century onwards. Um, but I mean, you you still you still have plenty of kings who lead their troops into battle, uh, or or at least are are there when mm-hmm. battle is fought. Um, and you know, you have someone like uh, John II of France being captured at Poitiers. Um, you know, and uh, you have Henry V still leading his troops at, at Agincourt in the 15th century. You'll still have kings leading the, the, the yeah. forces in battle. But um, I think 
as, as the Middle Ages gives way to the early modern period, once you get into the the 16th, 17th centuries, you start to see the increase in the size of armies, mm. um, and of course the development of more advanced weaponry, particularly short weaponry. Right, sure. That. So you get bigger armies using more advanced weapons. The, the nobles' place within the military hierarchy was very much, as you said, based around the fact that they were they could afford the best equipment, the best armor. The horses are what separated them from the common guard soldier. Mm. Uh, but their place in the battlefield becomes less important as armies get bigger um, and, and as the weaponry changes so that having a horse or having armor means little if, if a musket ball can punch straight through it. Sure. Um, so so that, that, I suppose, is when you start to see the nobility becoming captains, becoming commanders. They become the officer class, Right. to use a different term. Uh, they're still there. They're still within the hierarchy and still within the military hierarchy. But they're then perhaps not quite as to the front of the action. They're perhaps more the strategists uh, who, are, who are moving the pieces around the board. And I suppose the same could be true of kings um, or could be said to be true of kings. Although even then, you still have in the early modern period, you still have kings killed in battle. You still have, have kings fighting it out with the, the troops on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I suppose it's... It's perhaps later than you think. Um, I yeah, think, I was just I thinking, think that, like, um, you know, one of the criteria for George Washington was that he was a general. Mm. He did show prowess on the battlefield. But then, of course, once he becomes president, he's behind the walls. I, I mean, I guess that, that sort of does fall parallel to what you're saying about that early modern period. You start to see that the fading away of the warrior king. I think so, yes. And actually, you could argue a fading away of the warrior. Certainly, that 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 chivalric knightly warrior. Interesting. That 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 is very much the ideal of the medieval period. That they become less important, and and or certainly less, you know, the the the, the key around which milita- the military revolves. Um, it's it's the shift to 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 larger armies really does change the nature of the medieval or the late medieval and the early modern battlefield uh, and 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 the nobility is not at the heart of or, or the knighthood the knightly class sorry are not at the heart of it anymore they used to be as you said the the the, the, the focal point they used to be the key weapon of a medieval army you know your, your armored knight on horseback is is a, a powerful weapon on the battlefield um once that recedes, once you have other weapons which take their place, once you have these things, these weapons in the hands of lower order soldiers, of men from the lower classes, then the nature of warfare changes um, and the importance of, of the military class changes as well. Hmm. And so, hmm. yes, it, I think it becomes more of a leadership role um, rather than anything else. And, and once you're in that leadership role, then you can, yes, you can retreat from the front somewhat. You can be the strategist, the tactician. Uh, but you're you're pointing other people in the direction and telling them where to go rather than leading them into it yourself. Ian, thank you so much. Fantastic stuff. I really appreciate it. Uh, Steve, we got some feedback for Cocoons of Horror. Oh. Uh, let me try that again. Oh, Steve, yeah. we got some feedback for Double Dragon. Um, we still doing that? Double Dragon, it's still going. Okay. It's still going. Um, This is uh, from Red Angel 72 That username sounds like our demographic. 
This sounds just like our demographic because it could be like born in 72 or it could be like graduated in 72. <laughs> or it could be like, you know what? I want Red Angel so bad and there were 71 others. I'm doing it. I don't care how high I have to go. I'm going to go Red Angel. And then meanwhile, Red Angel 73 is like, oh, wait, I got the username. for. Oh, I skipped. I did yep. the math wrong. This says never miss an episode. I'm late to the Game of Thrones House of the Dragon Worlds, but this is by far my favorite podcast that is devoted to them. The banter between the hosts is entertaining and often makes me laugh, which isn't always easy given the storylines. I was wondering about this. Like, do you feel like it's easier to find the funny in a super serious show, or is it easier to find the funny in a show that's consciously trying to be funny? Well, I mean, then well, I think what happens is you appreciate, like, if you're, let's, you and I are doing like humorous banter, but we're doing it on, say, The Office. Yeah, uh, we're gonna probably. I think we'll we will we won't probably be as funny ourselves. Right. We will so, instead be analyzing yes. the funny that makes us laugh, right? Yeah, inevitably yeah. we're second to whatever premise that they've decided to come up with. Right? right. We might talk about why that joke is so genius or this or that uh-huh. and or you know, we but it would be it would feel weird to build on a joke that was already done. I mean we certainly well, could. Yeah, I think that if we did the office or something like that, it would be us sort of trying to bring some serious like this is actually seriously amazing artwork that they've created right right i think that that's probably how we would lean so then when we come to something like house of the dragon it's sort of we we almost have a little bit of carte blanche right and it's not like we're going out there intentionally to go like how can we make uh this violent incestuous show hilarious um and sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. <laughs> that, like, well, okay. sometimes I'm looking like thinking, where's okay, what would what's gonna get Steve going? Oh, okay. Um yeah, I, I can see that. I mean it, it is because uh, it is pretty serious stuff and I, I like to think that we we uh we have a balance. I mean I think naturally you and I are, are prone to try to be amusing or at least amuse each other. Um so I, I think that's there's a certain inevitability that that's goes with. I think that that's the key. It's that if I was because I do these podcasts with academics about the books and whatnot, and every now and again I will find something funny, but I I feel that if I can make you laugh, or if I think that you're going to be able to make me laugh, I'm totally going to lean in that direction. Gotcha. Whereas if I'm doing this podcast with uh, someone I've never met before. I might try to, you know, lean into the funny and then find that the other person doesn't have my sense of humor, which is a little right. bit risky, right? Yeah, and for our listener, and I guess I could certainly see that there were some people that might think that we're maybe being too uh, too flippant with the material, you know, for being mm-hmm. funny. Um, but I like to think that, uh, obviously, with your, the academic portion uh, of the podcast, and I think you and I do a pretty good job of trying to analyze what we're seeing, at least from a storytelling perspective. Um yeah, if it Sorry. was all slapstick all the time, people would not. I mean, maybe people would like it. I don't know. I I think that the, the trick is finding the balance, and uh, the the other trick is that not is like not finding the balance. It's like if you're consciously thinking about tr- finding the balance, but yeah, uh, then you're you're overthinking it, right? So. Well, and that's and that's uh, what I 
try to do with comedy as well. A lot of comedians do that where you know that you got something that's funny and then knowing when to let it land and, and uh, you know, one more tag actually might cheapen it or, or mm. take away, you know, mm-hmm. uh, be be happy with where you, you set it. I mean, I've had, like, that's some of the better notes and criticisms I've received during shows is, uh, you know, not so much do this, don't do that or add this. Show. It's more like you didn't need that tag because uh, I think you, so you're getting a good laugh so there's laughter over it. And mm-hmm. if you wait for the laughter and then do it again, it just sort of feels like you're milking it. So just let that one let that one live and let the audience uh, kind of bathe in it for a while. This is uh, You Think You Know About Hot D Podcast Chief. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that this is a callback to our first Cocoons of Horror podcast, Jaws, wherein uh, Steve does Quent... Throughout the entire podcast, yeah, some may say too much. Uh, some, some, some have said too much, um, but uh, I think it's just the right amount. <laughs> um, are you still doing Quint around the house? A little less so. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's just uh, not exactly a crowd favorite in in the house. Yeah, but, Heather's uh, not a big fan of it, but I think your dogs might know you oh, by yeah. that voice by now. Right at this point, yeah. <laughs> You want an extra treat there, Chief? <laughs> Anthony got to make a poo-poos. <laughs> Anthony and Steve getting together to talk about this show made every dream I ever had come true, followed by the subsequent inception and fulfillment of the newer, better dreams. I'm not sure what that I- implies. Um, <laughs> also, Are we responsible uh, for those two? <laughs> also, I grew four inches. Hmm, interesting. My Blockbuster account was no longer considered in arrears, and my breath became permanently minty fresh. See, th- I, I think that we are performing miracles uh, from distance, like Jesus. I, 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 I didn't, I had high aspirations for this podcast, but this guy is suggesting that, um, this is from Kevin at ISU. So, Kevin... Uh, we should document this because I always feel like if you claim that you've seen a miracle, you know, get it, get it on tape, I, I, you know, get get it documented, get some scientists looking at this because um, we could, you know, it's not like we couldn't capitalize on this. Right. And if you can't well, capitalize off miracles, then you're doing it wrong. Well, and you said that, you know, we're like Jesus doing miracles from afar. But I think all the records that I'm aware of, he was usually in proximity of his miracles. Right. I mean, he wasn't streaming like we are. So, I mean, I'm not saying, and again, well, Jesus clear. did do a couple miracles from distance, which does make him the first podcaster. If okay. you think about <laughs> it. All right. Godcaster. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, all right. So this is a very kind, it goes on and on, but it's a very kind, appreciate this, Kevin. And I'm, I'm glad you grew four inches. Uh, he doesn't say where he grew four inches. And I, and that's what, that's what makes it uh, good writing. Um, all right. This says, love everything these two do. This is from Waffle Party 79 This yeah. is a pretty great handle. Yeah, it is. I would have never thought of Waffle Party 79 uh, Now that I've seen it, I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, I know. That's a good one. Although my judgment might be suspect, I too enjoyed season eight of Game of Thrones. Yep. You, you just alienated like 80% of everyone in the world. I will yeah. say this, though, Steve. Since we aired our podcast of the Iron Throne, uh, and you declared your affection for the, that episode, 
I've gotten tons of emails saying, I'm so glad Steve loved it because I loved it too. And I never had a place. I never had anyone I could actually confess it to. So it's a huh. little bit, it's a little bit like, um, like, well, what, what could you uh, equate this to? Like a band that no one likes, but, but you know that someone likes, likes them because they're really popular. They, they're making a lot of money or something. Yeah, that could be it, right? Like, it could be somebody who's like, no, you know what? Uh, contrary to what everybody's saying, Nickelback slaps. You know what I mean? Like, that, maybe that kind of a thing. I don't know um, about Nickelback. I would say more like yeah, like Huey Lewis. Like, yeah, there was a, a, a two-year time frame in the 80s where Huey Lewis, like, they, no one could top Huey Lewis. But no one would, uh, like, admit, like, Huey Lewis is my favorite band, right? Maybe maybe this is <laughs> this is really just about me because I'd be like, yeah, if you Lewis ruled, I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> and I've told you that there's a uh, a Huey Lewis cover band in Sacramento. Oh, uh, you uh, did not tell me this, and they're, because they're, I would remember it if you told me this. They're called the Power of Love, and in my it's opinion, per- it's a, it's so a, far perfect. So no, continue. it's not perfect. It's not perfect because their name should be Fake News. I that has a negative com- connotation for me. I think I think maybe don't need money would be the uh, would be the the fall name. Um, but okay. a new drug. Yeah. New, oh yeah. Huey Lewis and the new drugs. Mm. Uh, that would work. Look, let me just say, if you've left a review for us for Double Dragon or Cocoons of Horror. Uh, let me just express my appreciation. It's really helped us out. If you haven't yet left a review for us on a- Apple iTunes, um, you're you're okay. You're fine. You know, this is not like I, I'm going to hold a grudge or anything. Um, but uh, but but I, I'm just I'm less grateful. Is it, is that would that be bad to say that I'm a little bit less grateful? Well, so again, as I bring this back to me, then when you're doing like when you're a comedian and you go to a, a a show, and let's say that the it's a sparsely attended show, right? And you look out, it's real easy to do time and talk about how empty the place is. Oh, but, but what yeah. you're doing is you're telling all the people that actually did come out and yeah. are here and that may have indeed bought a ticket that right. that they're not enough, right? So I would just caution. I would sure. caution. Okay, I, I take it all back. I am absolutely grateful to for everyone who's left an iTunes review. Um, for those of you who haven't left a review, I, I, I equate you with the empty seats at all of Steve Osborne's comedy shows. <laughs> and there's plenty. And I don't, I'm not going to – there's no value judgment there. I, I'm, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. We would love – we would really prefer that you were there. But <laughs> – we're going to instead put our attention, our focus on those who are there. And if you want a piece of that, you um, know where to come. Um, Steve, we, you know, we, we did the, we started this whole thing in the pandemic. Um, I think, I think we maybe started our first podcast like before the lockdown. I think you might be right. And so we kind of gotten out of the habit of, of, 
promoting your shows because you were doing like, I don't know, like Zoom shows or whatever. Right, right. Um, you might actually have shows to promote that I that I, I just never think to ask. And now I feel a little bit bad about that. Well, you know, I mean, this is a far reaching uh, podcast. So, I mean, it's hard to, to tell people. I mean, it's better to go to the website, steveosborn.com, and see where I'm going to be and see if I've even updated mm-hmm. it. But, like, you know, like in a, uh, I'll be, I will be at the San Francisco Punchline. Um, uh, opening for Mo Mandel uh, on October nineteenth through the twenty second. So that's that's news to me. Congrats. Um, so I, I don't know if this is still true, but I think I mean it was back in the day. San Francisco was one of the most highly visited cities in the world. So. You don't have to come to San Francisco just to see Steve, right? right? You could you could come to see Coit Tower or and I will be performing I will be performing Golden Gate at, Bridge at Coit, I believe. Coit Comedy is what I'll be doing. Uh-huh. I think it's a cafe and, in the Coit building. Uh-huh. And uh on the lower deck of the Bay Bridge, I think at one point. Sure. Um somewhere somewhere near the San Francisco side of things. Yeah, fast track. I only perform in the fast track. Yeah, all right. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, you could come to that city, that that fair city. You could experience Alcatraz, and uh, you know, do do whatever people do. You go to Fisherman's Wharf, and then that night, you know, you're you're, you're winding down. Uh, pop into Punchline and see Steve Osborne. That's right. Don't forget your two drink men. Yeah. Uh, or you know, come to come to the Gem City uh, here in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> we could pop into Panera Bread together. And, uh, and never mind. (laughs) You like strip malls, chief? Thank you.